Welcome to episode 1039, my interview with Mike Maddock, discussing leadership blind spots and many other cool things. Great conversation today, guys. Enjoy. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. Great to have you here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're, um, whereabouts are you located? Uh, just outside Chicago, on the other side of the planet. Chicago. Okay. Yes. And it's uh, wine time for you and coffee time for us here in Australia. Absolutely. But, uh, mate, so what, um, you've got some, some interesting work that you do. You help um, people with business growth, uh, et cetera. Um, what is it exactly you do? You're a motivational speaker, author, and coach, would you say? Uh, I'd start with entrepreneur. I've, entrepreneur. I've started seven different companies. My primary business uh, is about three decades old now. It's called Maddock Douglas. It's an innovation consulting firm. Mm-hmm. We've worked with 25% of the top 100 countries or companies in the world, helping them uh, launch new products and services. So You've worked with 25% like, of the top 100 companies in the world. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. what we do is we do research, we find gaps in the market, and we help them stand up a new product or service uh, to fill that need. And mm. um, so I get to work with really clever people trying to put a dent in the universe. How about that? That's cool. Yeah. How long have so, you been doing this for? The, that company started in 1991, so is that 31 or 32 years now? 91. Well, you started young. You still look young. I did. Thank you, I did. I started, uh, I've had companies my whole life. I started my first company about maybe 14. Well, um, what was that? And it was, you know, lawn care. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I just wanted some money in my pocket, so I figured out ways to cut lawn and get other kids to help me shovel snow and cut lawn and stuff like that. What was the drive for you? You know, I mean, it seems like a lot of entrepreneurs have that young age experience where they sell something or start a business. And I think it's a good question. You know, I, 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 the first thing that comes to mind is I like the freedom that having a couple bucks in my pocket mm. gave me. Um, but I, you know, I'm a, all of my businesses have been around service. I'm a servant guy. My dad's a servant leader. So I just, it was fun for me to find problems to solve, um, be of service to others and get paid for it. And, mm. you know, that's a, that's a thread through all of my businesses. Finding the solutions to people's problems, I guess, and, and filling that gap um, and, and based around innovation. I've read a lot about your, your work. Um, they call you the idea monkey. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a book called Free the Idea Monkey which was my nickname. It was a business partner of mine, Raf Vitan. Uh, he, one day I was walking by his office and he said, hey, hey, idea monkey, idea monkey, get in here. He was stuck on a challenge. And I thought, I think he was teasing me, but I thought it was so delightful that, you know, I was like a wind-up toy. I, I never really, I respond to everything with about 17 different ideas. And that, I've always been that way. And it's, that's really useful until it's not. You know, there are certain leaders who are divergent thinkers and they react to pressure by by changing things and coming up with new things. And there are other leaders that are convergent leaders who, you know, they focus on doing one thing really well better every day. And that uh, reflex is is excellent if that's what the market calls for and dangerous if it doesn't. So I spent a lot of time thinking about the tension between visionary leaders and operators right that's interesting isn't it 
and you're right. I guess um, both both levels of leadership can have its have its time and and, and place. I suppose, depending on the market. The um, I mean, that must always change in your experience with businesses. That there always must be a changing market. I mean, you can do something good for many many years, but it's it, it won't last forever, will it? Because everything ultimately changes. Yeah, and and what happens is most companies are started by uh, you know wide-eyed entrepreneurs that are have the stones to take on the man and try something different. But most companies are scaled by operators, people that understand how to create systems and metrics and you know tighten things up. And, you know, but it's the balance of both of those skills that makes companies able to um, repeatedly reinvent, the, reinvent themselves over and over and, and scale. Mm-hmm. And, and also, um, what you see is that, you know, the most inventive companies, I, I would challenge you to answer the question, what business are they really in? You know, like, they're, they're, they, they have such an expansive view of how uh, the problems that they are um, able to and um, capable of solving that it's hard to pin them down. Like, what, what business is Apple in? Yeah, I would say tech. But Yeah, they're, you know, they're in the phone business, the money business, um, the computer business. They, they, you know, they're, uh, they, they, I, it's, you know, it's a big question. But, but what happens is that companies that are run tightly by operators, they get really myopic about the business they're in and they forget. So all of a sudden they wake up one day and, you know, they think they're in the railroad business and they lose the opportunity to own every ship, every airplane, because they're actually in the transportation business. But everyone that works for them is thinking about making the trains run on time, right. buying cheaper steel, etc. So that's called marketing myopia. And, you know, it was... It was it's an idea that was developed in 1967 uh, by a Theodore Levitt, a Harvard professor. It happens every day in businesses that are that forget the business they're actually in, and that's how they get disrupted. Yeah, and you're right. It starts off with that that particular person who's who's got the courage and the balls to take on the bigger players, maybe, or come up with something courageous and and you know unique, and bring that out to the marketplace. And then usually operators take over and and sort of scale the company from there. Um, but you know, we've seen like Apple, for example. Steve Jobs remained in the company for many, many years, and he was that disruptor, wasn't he? Really, he was actually until he got kicked out of the company, and the company crashed, and yeah. then he came back in and, and revitalized it. My favorite example is um, is General Electric. I, I was on the board of advisors for their innovation council, and um, I remember flying to New York and going to 30 Rock and going all the way up to the top floor and walking down a long hallway full of black and white pictures of middle-aged white guys that had run the company. And one of the other advisors said, you know why we're here, right? And I said, yeah, we're here to help them innovate. And he goes, that's right. Um, But do you know it's been 13 years since GE has launched a new product or service or business model, even though they have thousands and thousands of patents? And I was blown away by it. But boy, could they six sigma. Boy, could they mitigate risk. Jack Welsh was such a great operator that he came in there and tightened the screws for decades Mm. or or almost decades. And that worked until it didn't. And that's Thomas Edison's company. 
Thomas Edison's company. When Jack Welch left that company, they lost $200 billion of market share. Uh, why? Because they'd gotten out of balance. They were, they were operated so efficiently that they mm. squeezed all the profit, profit out of their products and services, and then they didn't have anything new um, for, for the world. So the, the companies that are really good at scaling have a yin and a yang, an idea monkey and a ringleader, a Sheryl Sandberg and a Zuckerberg that, that balance each other out. Right. Interesting. Can you sort of tell when, when you're introduced to a company or a, or a leader even where they sit on that, that level? Like are they the operator or the... Yeah, you can actually you can actually test you can test for it. I, I started a company called Flourish Forums, yeah. and it's a um, it's an advi- it's a virtual advisory board. So there are at least six C level people that meet every month, six to ten, and they 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 occupy one of six seats. So you have your operator, your yeah. strategist, your rainmaker, your visionary, your tech futurist, and your orchestrator. And I use the Colby test. To understand, even though you could probably do all seat all of those things, which which seat do you naturally retreat to um, under pressure or when you're in flow? And so, to your question on the Colby, and spelled K-O-L-B-E, yep, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a high quick start like a three three nine three, you're an idea monkey. If you're a high fact finder and high follow through and low quick start, you're an operator. Um, or a strategist, depending on what the pattern is. And so what you want is an advisory board or a board of directors or a forum, in this case, that sees the world five different ways. Because your blind spot is, um, is, is closely related to your expertise. You know, or as Marshall Goldsmith says, what got you here won't get you there. And you want peers who you respect to say, to, to be able to say, you know, I hear you think that's your problem, but I see it differently. And here's how, here's an experience it reminds me of, and here's my big takeaway. So that you can go, you can say, hopefully, wow, maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way. And that's mm-hmm. how you get outside that blind spot. So just talk to us about this blind spot again. And, and you, you just sort of mentioned that it's often, would you say that it's often your area of expertise? Is your yeah, so, is that what you said? Yeah, your, your biggest strength is your biggest weakness, isn't it? So if you're, um, if you're, our company isn't profitable. If you're an operator, your, your reflex is going to be, well, that means because our KPIs aren't right. It's because our margins are too slim. It's because we have too many people. You, you see the world through an operator's lens. So, and that's your strength. That's why you became the president of your company, because you are so good at systems thinking and thinking efficiently. But what if the problem is that your, your product or service is no longer relevant? You need to be the, a visionary's instinct would say, screw the KPIs and the systems. We need a new product that sales that everybody wants. We're no longer relevant. So that so so they both might be right, depending on what the market tells them. But mm. the point is that they have a blind spot that is uh, the the opposite of their strength. And you can go through every great leader. Um, and it, the the truth is that that. Um, Again, our greatest strength is our greatest weakness. Interesting. Um, and I suppose you don't necessarily have to be in trouble in business to 
start to look at these things. I mean, you could be in a in a business that's somewhat flourishing, but still need to look at look at the business from this perspective. Yeah, in fact, um, when your when your company's in balance, uh, I love the metaphor of sailing. When you have wind in your sails, you can go anywhere you want as fast as you want. When the wind dies, you can't do anything. So think of uh, the wind in your sails like the revenue. When revenue is good and you want to try things, you have the money, you have the courage. People are like, yeah, let's invest in this new idea. Let's, let's have a portfolio of new ideas. But that's not what usually happens. What usually happens is, holy crap. We got to do something. Well, now everyone's afraid of losing their jobs. You're out of money, so everyone retreats to what what they did yesterday and doubles down on it a, a little bit more today. And and so it, it becomes very very difficult uh, to to innovate in a fearful culture. So great leaders understand mm-hmm. that, and they're actually investing when things are going well. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Like some of the symptoms of being in my, my favorite saying, Lee, is you can't read the label when you're sitting inside the jar, which is to say uh, the longer you've been working on a challenge, a business and in industry, congratulations, the more of an expert you become, which means, you know, what works, you know, how you make your money, you know, what's legal, you know, what the boss wants, you know, what you can afford. And the more, you know, the harder it is for you, you to see possibility when it's right in front of you. And so the symptoms that you're in the jar, number one is you're an expert. <laughs> if you're an expert, you, you have certain ideas about what expertise looks like. Um, if you get angry about new ideas, if you find yourself getting pissed off when someone comes to you with an idea, well, that means you're passionately committed to something. And that passionate commitment to something creates a blind spot. Um, if you keep trying to solve the same problems again and again and again, but you can't fix it, you know, in design thinking, they would tell you you're working on the wrong problem. <laughs> you just are. So you have to shift the, the problem you're trying to solve. Um, so those are some symptoms of, of the expertise trap. So if you, if, you, if you can see some signs of that, I mean, I guess complacency is what I often look at um, in my business as well, but looking out there at other businesses too. I see people get this level of success or businesses get this level of success and and then um, I think they just take it like the wind and sails. It's just there. It just happens and you sort of take it for granted and um, perhaps you become a bit complacent about, you know, what's coming up behind you. And I think that's what's always exciting for me is that idea of how can I recreate something? How can I stay ahead of the competition, you know, with what I do? Um, and perhaps I'm more of a visionary than an operator. I don't know. But um yeah, I think it, it's possible in any business to look at, you know, what the business is doing and, and thinking outside of that box. Yeah, and there's there's a place for visionary thinkers. What, um, what I see my friends that are scaling companies do is if there's a visionary leader um, like you and there's a great operator – you know, you it, when it's working, it's almost like a love affair. You you so respect what the other one does that you can't do that you let them do it. So oftentimes, what happens is the visionary leader says, "Okay, this company's running really well, operator. You got it. You got the wheel. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go over here and start launching a different business, or I'm going to I'm going to run our incubator, or I'm going to go. You know, they because that energy has to be applied somewhere, and the visionary leader will screw things up 
you know, because <laughs> their impulse is to always be changing things, even when it's working really well. But the operator also has to be able to say, look, all of a sudden things aren't going so well. So can you come, can you come back and help us rethink this business? Right. Um, and, and when the visionary leader has started a new division, a new product, a new service, they need to then lean on the operator and say, okay, it's going, can you make it run more smoothly? And that's yeah. how things work. But, but, you know, I, I, I right after, mm-hmm. here's an embarrassing story. Right after I wrote that book, the free, the idea monkey to focus on what matters most, um, our, our company, our little company had scaled from uh, 3 million to 5 million to 8 million to 12 million to $15 million in revenue, a little company. And that happened inside of three and a half years. So that's pretty incredible growth. And, um, and then we started to flatten. And right after that, I tested our leadership team. And I was stunned to find out that the, almost the entire leadership team were a bunch of idea monkeys, even though they had names like Did you operator. use the Colby test for them? Is that what you we mean? We did. Yeah. We did. And I was stunned. The only one who wasn't a quick start on our leadership team was our CFO, which was good or we would have all been in prison, but it explained things like we, it's why we were so good at uh, coming up with new ideas and so ineffective uh, at executing. We were always talking about what's next instead of, wait a minute, in the last meeting, we had all these commitments and, but we're not hitting any of them. And so had we been in balance, we would have been able to continue to scale, but we weren't. And so we flattened out. And so, you know, I'm, all of us uh, uh, speakers and writers and entrepreneurs are constantly trying to figure out our own stuff. And I'm working on myself over here. Um, but I see this pattern in small companies, big companies, mid-sized companies. So it's a real opportunity. Well, it's great to have that level of awareness where you, you allow yourself to, to see, you know, um, yeah, well, where I guess a lot of people can be arrogant to, to being open to that, you know. Well, um, yeah. And, and you explained some, some things, yeah, quite beautifully there. I, I like the idea of, because um, I, I guess I fall into that trap where I'm always trying to reinvent things even though it's working fine, you know, instead yeah. of focusing my energy on something new. What is your advice for a company that wants to to bring in innovation and and scale their business to that next level? I know it's it's obviously a probably a hard question to answer because businesses are at different levels anyway. But is there any advice you'd give small or bigger businesses? Yeah, I, I think one really useful framework is a portfolio framework. Um, I have lots of thoughts on this, but but a, a yeah. one way to think about innovation is first define it. Everyone has to understand what innovation is. Innovation is the intersection of an insight, a need in the market, an idea, a product, service, or business model that actually fixes or meets that need, and then an experience that makes people say, wow, thanks, I'll pay you this much for it. So insight first, idea second, experience third. Most people don't. Most people think innovation is ideas, but that's dangerous. Companies that are really good at innovation actually have fewer ideas. They're just great at finding market needs, quantifying them, prioritizing them, and solving the biggest needs first. So that's number one. Get your definition of innovation down. Number two, have a portfolio strategy around innovation. There's a simple two-by-two portfolio. It's in um, 
uh, I've written four books. It's in Brand New. It's in uh, Free the Idea Monkey. And I think it's also in Plan D about disruptors. But the framework is a two-by-two framework. The Y-axis is um, we know how to do it or we don't know how to do it. The X-axis is we know people want it or we don't, have no idea if they want it. So bottom left is we don't know how to do it, or excuse me, we know how to do it and we know people want it. That's called evolutionary innovation. You need to do it. You got to do it all the time. It should probably be about 65% of the work you're doing because you're listening to your customers, but there's not a lot of margin in it. Top left, we don't know how to do it, but people are asking for it. That's differentiated innovation. That's 15% of your, your time and resources higher margin when you figure it out it's different it differentiates your company bottom right we we know how to do it but we don't know um, if anybody wants it that's fast fail you just experiment 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 lots of experiments not much money see if anybody wants it and the top right and this is where most people get in trouble we don't know how to do it we have an idea we're not sure how to do it and we're not sure if anybody wants it this is like the moon launch <laughs> revolutionary innovation and, and, you know, by definition, it's super high risk. So if you think about how you invest your money, you want a little, a bunch in the bottom left, a little bit in the top left, very little in the top right, and a little bit in the bottom right. And if you balance that out, you will, your company will be constantly innovating and mitigating risk, just like you put your own money in the market. That's cool. Can that framework be found in your books, did you say? Absolutely. Yes. And, and, you know, I've written for Forbes for years. I've written about it business week. I just started writing for Inc. So if you Google uh, Mike Maddock innovation framework, I'm sure it'll come up for you. Find it there. Yeah. Well, I'll stick the, um, the links to the books in the show notes for people listening and your website as well, Mike. So um, people can have a little bit uh, more of a look into your work and what we're talking about here today. Um, Yeah. What a great framework. Any other tools that you'd give um, to a business owner? Uh, so I think chapter four in plan D is all frameworks. Plan D is about disruptors and it goes through the eight superhero powers that disruptors, I define disruptors as people that blow shit up for the good of the whole use. And so the idea is if you want to be disruptive in a good way, you know, pick one of those chapters, read it. It's a story about an entrepreneur, an outline of their superhero power and how to use it. And in the framework chapter, I, I think I outline uh, 10 different frameworks. Here's one, one of my favorites, um, the one, three, one framework. Have you heard of this, Lee? No, no. Okay. So uh, I use this in Flourish forums, um, one, three, one. So someone comes into your office and says, hey, boss, uh, we got a problem. And you say, okay, it's Friday afternoon, uh, Kelly. Um, I'll tell you what, on Wednesday at lunch, I want you to one, three, one it for me. So you go to lunch with Kelly on Wednesday and say, okay, give me your one, three, one. One, here's what I think the problem is. Three, here are three ways to solve that problem. One, here's my recommendation. So that's the one, three, one. And you can run a whole company using a one, three, one framework. The beauty of it is that you're teaching people to think critically, have a point of view, and and, and manage themselves. Now, as the boss, you can always say, I don't think that's the problem, or you can agree with the problem. I like your solutions, but I'll pick door number two instead of door number one. But it's a really cool framework. The way I modify it in Flourish forms is, one, 
Here's how I see the issue. Three, here are three experiences that, based on the way I see the issue. And here's my number one learning from the way I see the issue. That way, another leader can say, I know you think it's about your hiring practice. I think it's about fear. I think you're afraid to let go of control. Or I was afraid to let go of control. And six, if you have six different looks at the, the challenge, like six different people see it differently. Well, that goes back to that. If you keep trying to solve a problem over and over, but you can't solve the problem, you're probably working on the wrong problem. And having other leaders say, wow, I see it differently is the greatest gift um, one leader can give to another. Mm. Yeah. That one, three, one. I love it. It's, um, it's probably very empowering for, for a workplace. Really simple to remember too. Simple to remember. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, yeah, mate, that's uh, fantastic. I don't know where to go with the conversation now. The uh, the innovation is um, going through my mind about what I can do in my company. I suppose <laughs> that's the way um, it should go. I hope you're yeah. not alone. <laughs> um, no, I think a lot of a lot of businesses out there listening to this, or entrepreneurs even, um, would would find a lot of value in what you're saying here, and certainly encouraging to check out more of your work and, and your ideas there as well. Um, any particular sort of routines or rituals you have, mate, that um, help keep you in check in life? Obviously, you're a busy person. Uh, you know, I've, I've become, have you noticed Lee that there are people that are way, 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 way more successful than we are, but they seem to work less. Yeah. You notice that? Yeah. I think there's, I think there's a, um, as, as one gets older, they are much more intentional about working on essential things than urgent or important things. So what I try to do at the end of every day is make a short list one or two things yeah. of essential stuff that I have to get done the next day yeah. and um, I have found that if I take care of one or two essential things uh, I, before the urgent or important takes over my day uh, life is much better mm. um, and I'm not going to tell your listeners what the essential things are but they can be family they can be personal or they can be work but you know uh i don't think anybody ever regrets their life if they've taken if they focus on the essential instead of the important no it's a really valid point and that's you know the idea of starting your day off you know earlier before the the rush i suppose to do those essential things whatever they might be certainly makes you feel a lot better about your day yeah and and i'm such a a crazy idea monkey that I'm easily distracted. And, you know, when people come and say, Hey, can you help me with this? I want to help them. And usually it's, those are important or urgent things and not really essential. So I take care and uh, take mm. care of the essential first. Um, how do you, how do you manage your, your distraction, your, your monkey mind or creative mind? <laughs> like well, if your office uh, easily distracted, do you have a, a meditation or do you do something to, sort of put you back into the lawn? Well, I don't think, um, I'll speak for the boys in the audience. I, you know, when I was a little kid, the, the, the teachers would run us in the playground pretty hard in the morning, and then they'd run us pretty hard halfway through the day. And unless they did, we were bouncing off the walls. I, I don't think that changes much. I think it's pretty important to go out and exercise hard. So one of the things I try to do early in the day is have a really good workout, you know, mm -hmm. and it clears my mind. Um, 
then as I mentioned, I will uh, take on one or two essential things, um, you know, right out of the gate. Um, and then I, the, I guess lastly, I compartmentalize, you know, I have sections of day that I, that I hold for exercise, for essential, for family. And I try to try to hold to that. I, I, you know, my, my wife, this is personal, but what, you know, what are you going to do? Um, about, uh, 16 months ago, we found out my wife uh, was terminally ill with brain cancer. And so I have learned, um, that I'm pretty damn good at compartmentalizing and it's the only way I've been able to, um, you know, be a, 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 I think a pretty good husband and a pretty good dad and, a, and still be a pretty good business person. Um, flourish forms. I started the day before I found out she got sick or she was sick and it's, um, it's done pretty well. So compartmentalization is a, is a skill that I would recommend to yes. anybody out there. Yeah. Uh, sorry to hear, mate. I hope she's um, going well. Yeah. Well, we're, um, we're enjoying the moments we have. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. No, good to share. And um, going back to business, do you see any major disruptions coming to not just a particular industry, but the, the way we do things generally or have done things for the last 50 to 100 years? Sure. We, uh, you know, we, we commissioned a study. Um, you spent about a half million dollars uh, on, a, on a prediction market. Are you familiar with the prediction market? So it's really cool research uh, methodology. Wall Street is a prediction market. Um, A gambler's book is a prediction market. It's where people bet their own money on an outcome that they think is going to happen, and they have full access to any research they want, just like Wall Street. And in a prediction market, there are algorithms that reward uh, you get paid more based on uh, the quality of your prediction, the amount of information you back your prediction with, and how many people bet behind you. So it's a it's a really great way to measure the wisdom of the crowd, um, and you get you get qualitative and quantitative. You get all this information that you wouldn't have gotten. Like you know, for example, uh, we did a prediction market a couple of years ago, and um, so one of our one of the predictions, someone had done a patent search on on cryptocurrency, and had because patents are public record. And at the time, Bank of America had more patents around cryptocurrency than anybody else, which was telling because they had a three year strategy that was informed by the patent walls they were creating, and that's one of the reasons. He made his prediction and our client was like blown away because they didn't know that, you know, like, holy, wow, that's cool. Anyway, this prediction market that we did, we, we did a prediction market with professional advisors and uh, consumers who bought advice professionally. We made nine bold predictions. I'll give you one of them. Yep. Uh, the prediction was in the future, um, in the future, advisors will uh, will work for a company because of the technology the company has um, instead of the brand on the door. Said differently, I'm kind of murdering the prediction, but the technology stack is more important than the brand. What do you, how, many, how many advisors do you think predicted that would be true? Yeah, well. What percent? What percent? 10%, 20%, 30%? 
Probably in the lower areas, yeah, 20%. Yeah, it was it was closer to 90%. A professional advisors said that they would choose a the platform before the brand. And millennials were uh, north of 80%. But here's the thing. Boomers and Gen X were in the toilet. They didn't see it coming. The reason that matters is because most professional advisory firms are run by boomers and Gen X. These are people that have made a tremendous amount of money selling, you know, real estate, insurance, financial services. They're, you know, they're, they have gray hair, they have fancy cars and expensive watches, and they're going, that, that'll never happen. Boomers and Gen X say that'll never happen. Meanwhile, the young advisors say it's already happening. So we, we did work for a company called um, Invest Tools many years. We developed a platform called Thinkorswim help them develop a platform called Thinkorswim. We were the research component that was sold to TD Ameritrade. Here in the States, if you watch TD Ameritrade commercials, there, there's an investor, he's got a green couch, and he's talking about this Thinkorswim platform on his iPad. He's talking to a customer. He goes, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And we, we saw that commercial. We don't work with TD Ameritrade, but I thought, you know what? He's trying to attract advisors. This is a commercial attracting advisors, not consumers, because they've got this really cool tool that makes advisors smarter, faster. It's kind yeah. of like Tony Stark and Iron Man. He's, he's smart. He's handsome. He's rich. But what he puts on his suit, he's a superhero. That's what the platform does for advisors. That, that prediction, mm. um, 80%. Millennials said, and ninety percent of advisors said would happen within three years. So when was this that's pretty cool. Pardon me, it was finished about a year ago. Where can people um, find out the other predictions? <laughs> they can send me a note and yeah. ask me about them. Yeah, I, we haven't published them. We've been um, we've been uh, giving talks, and I've been presenting to a bunch of boards about you know the the prediction study. But that it's juicy. There, that's there's one of them. That's awesome. I love your work. I can see you're passionate about it. And uh, it's very exciting too, actually. What you, what well, thanks, man. Me too. Likewise. Um, I really appreciate you. Uh, it's awesome. I, I, your curiosity. I, I, you know, I haven't been to your wonderful uh, country. It's on my bucket list. I'd love to well, get to it. when you're here. <laughs> Opening back up nowadays. So it's all good. Yeah, I'd love to. I will. I will for sure. Uh, been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Now, the website for you again is mike-matic.com. That's the speaking site. Um, That's the speaking site. Yeah, mike-maddock.com is my speaking site. MaddockDouglas.com is the uh, consulting firm, and that's mike at maddockdouglas.com. If the virtual forum uh, is interesting to you, you can mike at flourishforums.com. I'm really really easy to find. Just, just Google, Google Mike Maddock and you'll, you'll yeah. find me. <laughs> There's a bunch of websites there. I've just done that. No, I'll yeah. stick some links in the show notes so everyone can connect. And Mike, thanks again for taking out the time. You go get that uh, glass of wine you've deserved and uh, enjoy your evening. All right, brother. Nice to, nice to be with you, Lee. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. 
Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwide.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon